Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Breda Pest Management, the official pest control of UGA Athletics. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. Monday was Memorial Day. I should say last Monday was Memorial Day. It is just a couple of days ago as I'm pre-recording this show here today. But you can pretty much guess what my Memorial Day weekend looked like in addition to seeing the excellent Top Gun movie, which pretty much everybody's enjoying. I was right there with him enjoying it myself. In addition to that, I spent a lot of time at the swimming pool. I just like doing that. I like going to the pool during the summer. And as I do, I like to read, a lot of you know this, preseason college football magazine. Just one of my favorite things to do. Uh, as of Memorial Day weekend, there was just one on the newsstand near me. Uh, that was the Lindy's Preview magazine. Still no athlon. I think that comes out in uh, like within the next day or two. And then the Phil Steele magazine will come out sometime in July. And, you know, it used to be the Street and Smiths. I don't know that Street and Smith still does its magazine, but uh, nonetheless, when they if you publish it, I will read it. And I'll probably end up talking about on this show here a little bit. So on Monday, the Memorial Day holiday, I'm at the pool. I'm kind of doing my thing there and reading the magazine. And there was something that I saw in the magazine that was an unthinkable scenario that was uh, suggested by the writer here of the Lindy's magazine that. I think if you're a Georgia fan, it's kind of nice to consider the fact that you actually probably don't have to worry too much about this coming true, but it sets us up for an interesting conversation nonetheless. If you're watching a video, I'll show you this on the screen. Now, admittedly, this is a very low-tech graphic. I'm not going to lie to you on this, that uh, this was simply just photographic evidence so I could prove that it exists, but there was a way to do this fancier. I just didn't do it. But this is a picture of the Lindy's Magazine and a topic that Lindy's addressed of potential replacements for Alabama coach Nick Saban it addressed this in the preseason magazine. I want to show you the list that Lindy's put together here of the potential replacements for Saban. Let's see this on the screen if you don't mind. So here we go. So here are the names. Billy Napier, Dabo Sweeney, Kirby Smart, Bill O'Brien, Lane Kiffin, Steve Sarkeesian, and Lincoln Riley. Yeah, that name was on there. Kirby Smart as a potential replacement for Nick Saban in Alabama. Now, I kind of blew up the part where they kind of wrote about Smart here in this uh, regard. What the Lindy's writer says is, you can hear Georgia fans here screaming, no, even though he's from Montgomery, Kirby really does look like a lifer at his alma mater in Athens. So even the Lindy's people in trying to put Kirby Smart on this list acknowledge, yeah, it's, and, and realistically, it's probably not all that likely that Smart would leave Georgia for Alabama. And this is true for a number of reasons. Smart's about to get a huge contract. By the time you hear this, maybe he's even already gotten that. He's won a national championship. Uh, this is his alma mater. He's an alumnus from UJ. His wife's an alumna. They are as deeply entrenched in Athens as one could be. So the actual truth is Georgia fans not shouting no at Lindy's for saying that Smart might go to Alabama. What they're really doing is laughing about the possibility of all of that. That 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 the truth is Smart leaving Georgia for any college job, just given all the things that I mentioned a moment ago, unless there's some horrible falling out or gosh knows what would have to happen to create a scenario where this is even you know reasonably likely to be true the odds are smart it's probably just not going to any other college job but in the little blurb that i just read to you a moment ago the folks at lindy's used a pretty interesting word 
They said that it certainly looks like Kirby Smart's a, quote, lifer at Georgia. Georgia coach for life. Now, I said this on one of the shows a couple of weeks ago that I do think about this from time to time, which is that Smart's a little bit older than I am, but we're essentially the same age. My hope is to be doing a Georgia show in some form or fashion for the rest of my life. Will I only be talking about Kirby Smart for the rest of my life as the Georgia coach? Is this the story of the rest of my life? And for those of you who are kind of in a similar age as me, is Smart just our guy for the rest of the time that we're doing all of this? I don't know. It's at least a possibility. I mean, there's a part of me, though, that also kind of thinks that forever's kind of a long time, that the chances that there won't be something at some point in time that at least pulls Kirby Smart in some sort of direction where he at least considers doing this somewhere else other than UGA over the course of the next two or three decades, that happening at least once, it seems like a pretty reasonable possibility. And as I said before, it's hard to imagine there's ever any college job where that would even be even a reasonable discussion whatsoever. But what about the NFL? You know, what about a guy at Smart who's doing it at the highest possible level one can do in college football? Is there a chance that sometime in the future he might want to see of, well, how does all this work in the NFL? Do my defensive scheme stop these high-powered NFL offenses? All these recruits that I was so good at acquiring when they were 18 years old, how good am I at coaching them when they're 30 or 32 or however old grown men are in the NFL? Is that ever going to be a draw for Kirby Smart? Well, I asked John Stinchcomb about that recently when he was on this show. John, of course, was a great player at Georgia, but also played in the NFL. You know, would Kirby Smart ever consider leaving Georgia for the NFL, even though he's about to get paid very handsomely for the work that he's done at UGA? This is a little bit of a taste of what John Stinchcomb said about that going back a couple of Mondays ago. Well, I know the wanted answer. The one answer is absolutely not. Georgia's the only place, but I think realistically, you look at the demands of college football coaches right now and the lack of control that they have and just understanding that the the influence that you know your opponent, you know what you're competing against in recruiting, and that has changed. You're no longer competing against the facilities and the records and the ability to get guys into the NFL and win games. Those become at times secondary to the fact that a third party is willing to pay them millions of dollars to come here. And that's not uh, something that can be controlled through a coaching staff. So that's John saying, hey, there are a lot of changes happening around college football. Maybe for a guy like Kirby who's enjoyed controlling this a certain kind of way, maybe some of those changes lead to a level of frustration where you say, hey, maybe you do want to just try the NFL. Maybe that's a little bit different. Maybe that's you know, a little bit more manageable given the the current nature of the chaos. Of course, we have no idea how any of this changes over the course of the next couple of decades, and this really is a long-range conversation. But that's kind of the, the origin of John's idea there. He went into even more detail about the level of thought process that coaches like Smart, not just Smart, but in this case we're thinking about Kirby, the level of detail they're forced to go into as they consider all of these options available to them right now more from john stinchcomb you also with the transfer portal understand that the demands have been not only recruiting high school but now you're recruiting uh the transfer portal as well as trying to retain as much as possible the guys in your own locker room so the demands have certainly shifted and i've seen already in assistant coaches 
a willingness to say, I'd rather just coach in the NFL. The hours might be tougher and the season's 16 games long and the stakes might be a little higher, but I don't have to have the same worries, concerns, and constant recruitment that occurs in, at the college level, which has become a 365, almost 24 hours a day obligation that a lot of coaches didn't sign up for. They want to be out there and, and coach the game and feel like they're being asked to do much, much more than where their passions lie. So this is where I have to admit something for a moment. A, I don't think that Smart will likely go to the NFL. He just seems so deeply entrenched in what college football is all about that as long as there is a college football that kind of feels the way that college football has felt, my guess is Smart's just not looking to go be an NFL coach. But I also have to admit something here and I think a lot of you are like me, and that we have a little bit of a blind spot in that I don't think some of us fully appreciate just what a big step up the NFL is considered to be in comparison to college football, even though cognitively we know it is. It's the superior league. We all understand that. But that's not something we feel in our bones. You know, I remember as a kid, I'm not a child, like, you know, third grade, whatever else, second, third grade, I knew what the Sugar Bowl was way before I ever knew what the Super Bowl was. In fact, I remember the very first time as like an elementary school kid, I heard another kid talking about the Super Bowl. I was thinking the kid didn't know how to pronounce sugar. Like he's saying super, he means sugar. Like I thought the Sugar Bowl was the paramount game in football, that there was no other bigger game than the Sugar Bowl. I literally didn't know what the Super Bowl even was. And so there are a lot of people who – Maybe you knew what the Super Bowl was when you were a kid. But there are a lot of people kind of like me who just sort of grew up with college football as king. And so the idea that you would feel the pressure or the or the, or the professional pull to go prove yourself in the NFL, that does sort of make a little less sense to some of us who just didn't grow up viewing the NFL as, oh, my gosh, there's nothing more important. There's nothing better than this. There's nothing, you know, we just didn't grow up that way. We grew up thinking the Sugar Bowl was the was the pinnacle of, of, of football and the, the Super Bowl, whatever happened on Sundays, was just the thing that you did to get ready for next Saturday. But not everybody feels that way. Maybe for a guy like Kirby, the competitive fire that burns in him as as intensely as it does. Maybe one day he's going to want to try his hand at all of that. Maybe that, that is indeed the case. However, what I think is probably actually more true than that, and none of us can know any of this. This is all just speculation. But I sort of suspect that Kirby ultimately would never really consider leaving Georgia for any other college job. The kind of money that he makes now just renders that, or he's about to make, it just kind of renders that a, a move conversation. Just, you know, why would you? You've got too many resources available to you at UGA. This is your home. This is your alma mater. It just seems bizarre that Kirby would ever consider another college job. I seriously believe that he won't. And I would probably say it's probably a long shot that he would ever go to the NFL, although I couldn't completely rule any of that out. But what if the third option here is the real thing that Georgia has to compete with? We just saw Jay Wright, the Villanova basketball coach, very successful in his sport. He just retired at 60. What if Kirby Smart doesn't want to be a, a lifer at anything? What if the intensity with which you know he approaches this job, but also in some respects he would say the job kind of demands of you, what if that just gets to be 
I don't want to say too much, but the kind of thing that Smart sort of decides that he doesn't need at that same level for the rest of his life. I mean, if anything, Smart's been as outspoken as anybody in talking about some of the things that John referenced a moment ago, but also some of the other stuff there as well that just pushes coaches and challenges coaches in a way maybe it didn't sort of used to be like. I mean, you want to go back to, I guess, what, January, February, being interviewed by Reese Davis, ESPN, Kirby saying at the time he was worried about the pressure that currently exists on coaches, even though they're well-paid and smart's about to be the highest paid of them all. Uh, even with all that you know, good salary and millions of dollars, there is still an increasing level of pressure that becomes pretty difficult to handle. This is what Smart said about that back during the winter. What's the best path forward? What needs to change for the betterment of the sport? It worries me, I'll be real honest with you, where the game of college football is going. First concern I have, the best leaders and the best men to run it and be organized with it are leaving. The best coaches are going to the NFL because they get more time with their families. They want no part of NIL, portal, constant recruiting. And you say, well, why not? Go live it and see how long you want to do it. It's not what it used to be. And I see coaches left and right, you know a lot of them, that have stepped out of this game that are saying, I'm done. Good men, great leaders, they don't want to be a part of it. That concerns me for the future of it. Where's it going? And I'm not talking about NIL or Portal in particular. I'm just saying the amount of time. The best thing the NCAA did was give February where coaches couldn't recruit and bring people on campus. But I think you've got to look at the calendar and say what's best for everybody because the amount of salaries that have gone up have made it so competitive that it's nonstop at the top. It is relentless and nonstop. And if you can't cut it, you'll be gone pretty quick. So let's assume here for a moment that Smart is doing there what most all of us do. I think we're all guilty at times of exaggerating to make a point. We have something we believe and we intensify our language as a way of making the thing we believe sound even more true. There is a possibility there that Smart is exaggerating the amount of pressure and challenge facing coaches right now because he's trying to make a point and he just makes it seem louder than it otherwise would be as a way of making his point seem more true. So if we assume there's a slight exaggeration there as a way of aiding the point, we are still left to conclude that Smart means what he says there. And Smart does believe that, oh boy, you see a lot of what's happening to the coaches here right now going to, you know, you know, either going to the NFL or just getting out of coaching all the way around, that there's a pressure cooker here that you can't just can't handle forever. Well, if Smart means that, then you have to at least take it seriously that maybe one day Smart himself would feel that way. And maybe as his kids get older and they're having kids of their own or whatever comes next, that, that maybe Smart could be ready just to, I don't know, be a TV analyst or, 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 you know, whatever else that you would do to pass your time on the Saturdays if you get tired of coaching at the level that that smart has been coaching for all of these years i mean look there there are a couple of things here for a moment i mean first of all let me kind of recap everything that i'm saying here the preseason magazine lindy says hey maybe uh kirby smart might consider replacing nick saban in alabama then they laugh off that as a possibility and say no actually probably kirby's at georgia for life our point here is while we do agree that it's pretty silly to think that kirby would go to alabama when nick saban's done life is a long time forever is a long time the odds are over the course of the next two or three decades Kirby might consider doing something else whether it's coaching the NFL or just not coaching at all no matter how much money you pay him at certain point there just might be a little bit of a gravitational pull towards something else other than being the coach at UGA 
But here's where I think things are really nice if you're a Georgia fan, knowing that your program's taking care of Kirby, taking care of his assistants, giving him the resources he needs to continue being as successful as, as he's been. That for the most part for Georgia fans, the biggest issue facing most fan bases, most college football programs, is now completely off the table. Most of the programs in the SEC are left to wonder, do we have the right coach? We'll talk more about, like, say, Billy Napier at Florida and Brian Kelly at LSU for a moment. Their fan bases have no idea if they're the right guy. There are other programs that sort of suspect their guy might be the right guy, but even in a place like Texas A&M with Jimbo Fisher, he's still got to eventually win some games on the field to prove that the recruiting success really is the kind of thing that can add up and equal something as you head towards the future. Most programs really are kind of left to wonder, is our guy the right guy at a place like Georgia? It's no longer really a consideration whatsoever. It's simply a matter of how much longer does he want to do this? And if the answer ends up being for a very long time, which it very well might be, that is very bad news for the teams that Georgia plays because the success that Georgia's already enjoyed could be replicated many more times as you head into the future. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Breda Pass Management, and glad to have you with us. No matter how you get to us today, whether it be 10 a.m. on video, no, normally it's 9.45, first and 15, dognation.com, dognation app. We'll get back to doing that again next week. But for today, it's live on video, or at least recorded live, plausibly live, as they used to send the Olympic broadcast. 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, Radio Noon, Athens, Sports Radio 960, The Ref, and I say podcast wherever you find them, including the world-famous dognation.com, the Apple Player, Spotify, all the other kind of stuff. We're just really glad to have you as a part of our program, and we really encourage you to do this to switch to our friends at Breda Pass Management when it comes to your termite, your pest control services, because when you do, that is going to put more money back in your pocket. We are so happy to have Breda Pass Management as a part of what we're doing here on Dog Nation Daily, delivering this show to you here today. And we are so appreciative of Matt Breda and the entire team over at Breda Pass Management because they understand the nature of what life is like for so many of us right now. Things are expensive right now. And finding a way to save money when you can it's just so, so important. And that's where Breda Pass Management steps in with your own termite company that you've had before. Maybe you just get that letter in the mail every year about your service price going up, and every year it seems to get more expensive. Same level of service just keeps getting more and more expensive, and that's frustrating. Well, switch and save with Breda Pass Management because when you do, that's going to put more money in your pocket instantly that's what we love about Breda Pass Management they do so well with that they're the official pest control provider of UG Athletics that means the same level of care and service that you're getting at Sanford Stadium and the equestrian complex and Foley Field they do that for UGA they're going to do that for you there as well and more importantly they're going to put more money back in your pocket right now so find them online it's BredaPest.com that's the website it's spelled B-R-E-D-A BredaPest.com and you can put more money back in your pocket by making that switch to Breda Pass Manager for your termite, for your pest control, let them take care of you. Stop getting those letters in the mail about your rates going up. With Breda Pass Manager, they're going to save you money instantly, just like that. So check them out online, BredaPass.com for more on that. B-R-E-D-A for Breda Pass Manager. All right, very quickly, before we get our buddy Mike Griffith, let's do a version around the doghouse here for a moment. I was talking about Brian Kelly and uh, Billy Napier a moment ago, and it got me thinking back to last year. You know, last year was a year in which I'd say somewhat surprisingly some first-year coach in the SEC really made a pretty big impact. And 
the case last year. And one of those guys was his rookie season as a head coach in particular. Shane Beamer at South Carolina. Think about that. Think about Josh Heupel at the University of Tennessee. The breakthrough he had. Both those guys kind of shared some of the coach of the year stuff at the end of last season. In fact, when Heupel was at the Football Writers Association Awards Banquet receiving one of his, you know, one of the coach of the year awards that he shared with a Shane Beamer, you know, he talked about the challenge facing a first-year SEC coach, the way in which he kind of navigated through that. And looking back on what this first-year coach in the SEC did a year ago, better than a lot of folks thought he would be, including myself, it gets me thinking about some of the first-year coaches in the SEC for this year. As a way of kind of setting this up, let me let you hear Heupel in his own words about what it was that he went through last season and the other first-year coach in the SEC experiencing similar challenges. This is Josh Heupel from last winter. And coming to Tennessee, obviously there was a lot of outside noise. We were able to quiet the storm, quiet the chatter. Our kids bought in immediately into what we're doing. They understood that the connection and accountability were going to be extremely important in the success that we were going to have. We never placed a ceiling in what our players inside of the program could do. We believed that there were great players inside of it. They bought into it, and they worked extremely hard. And uh, as, as well as we played uh, at times last year, um, we were disappointed when the outcome wasn't what we wanted because we knew we had enough to, to go win on those days. Uh, excited about the future, uh, what we've been able to do in year one, but what we're able to, to build upon here as we get started in year two when our kids back get back to campus. So this isn't really about Georgia, but it is the kind of thing I think Georgia fans will be interested in. Heupel talking about outside noise, blocking all that out. There was plenty at Tennessee a year ago when he got the Vols to a winning record, got them to a bowl game. Well, this year, that would actually be a reasonable level of accomplishment for a couple of other first-year SEC coaches there, too. One of those guys we've already talked about earlier this week, Billy Napier at Florida. What about Brian Kelly at LSU? Georgia doesn't play LSU this season, but a lot of dog fans will be watching Kelly pretty closely to see how he and his family, how they perform there in Baton Rouge. Like, How good can those guys be? Can they be as good as both Beamer and Heupel were last year, finding a way to get two winning records? That seems like a fairly easy accomplishment for Florida and for for LSU, but I think that also kind of underestimates the current landscape in the SEC, especially in the SEC West, where LSU sees a completely you know galvanized Texas A&M, Alabama, the reigning league champ. Obviously, what's happening in Arkansas, Ole Miss, there's not a lot of easy wins in the SEC West. In fact, if you can't find the easy win on your schedule, you may be the easy win for everybody else. That doesn't set up a very manageable scenario for Brian Kelly. The SEC East is also getting more challenging there as well. I think the point here is, is last year we saw a couple of first-year coaches step in and have way more success, Beamer at South Carolina, Heupel at Tennessee, than most folks thought they were going to have. It actually sets the bar pretty high for other first-year coaches in the SEC. And for Napier and Kelly, who both come in with their own level of hype and their own level of you know, pressure to perform pretty quickly, especially in the case of Kelly, who had so much success at Notre Dame before coming to LSU, Knowing that other first-year coaches have made it look relatively easy and the challenge for you may not be quite as easy as it looks, it could set up for an interesting scenario here later on this fall. That is Around the Doghouse, and happy to have all of you with us here on the program today. We'll keep the Georgia conversation going on right now. Glad to have him as a part of the program. He has been in Destin, Florida, where the SEC spring meetings are taking place. Let's find out more what Mike Griffith has to say here today on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pest Management. From 
Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead. Here's a DogNation.com insider. Well, so to Mike Griffith, always uh, great stuff with him here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pass Management, including a day like this where we're pre-recording because of my vacation, but Mike's still good enough to spend some time with us from Destin, Florida. Now, by the time you see this or hear this, the SEC spring meetings are over with, but uh, right now, as we're recording, it's still ongoing, and Mike taking a break to be with us, so I certainly appreciate that. Uh, Mike, thanks for your time. Hope you're doing well. Mike may have a little bit of an issue there with the cell. Let's try this. Um, you know, Mike, for those of us who've never been to an SEC spring meeting, you know, the average person sees maybe some of this on television. What's it like kind of behind the scenes there, rubbing elbows? It's a little bit more casual environment, I think, than certainly SEC media days kind of is. You know, what's it like kind of being behind the scenes for an event like this? Yeah, you know, it's a much smaller media gathering, right? So it's a it's, it's kind of an invitation-only uh, type of deal as far as media goes. So there's, there's not really a ton of people that are here. And so, um, you know, theoretically, you're able to get more flag-down interviews. Coaches, um, you know, they have a reception one night that the coaches attend along with the ADs. And coaches often bring their families, and so you get to kind of see them as, you know, more as real people. I mean, there's still some formalities to it as far as the coaches' meeting times and you know, different coaches are a lot more, you know, some coaches are a lot more given, you know, Sam Pittman's willing to stop and, you know, talk about Georgia with me in the hallway the other day, or, you know, Shane Beamer, certainly one of the more friendly, you know, media sorts. Nick Saban was, you know, hanging around, uh, you know, went to the, the VIP function afterward. And, you know, some coaches just, uh, you know, they just, they just don't make time for that. You know, they're, they're too busy or, you know, maybe there's recruits or what little free time they have here. You know, they want to spend it with their families and that's understandable, but, uh, for the most part, it is a little bit more of a relaxed setting. What do you make of the new faces in the SEC? I know you had a chance to catch up with Brian Kelly a little bit the other day. And, you know, last year we saw a first-year coach in the SEC really do quite well. In fact, Shane Beamer, a rookie head coach all the way around, very successful at South Carolina. Josh Heupel was much better than I thought he'd be in his first year with the Vols. And it sets a pretty high bar for guys like Billy Napier at Florida and, and Brian Kelly at LSU. What do you think the outlook is for these guys who are – introduced to the SEC for the first time here for this upcoming season. Yeah, it's really interesting, Brandon. You know, one of the things uh, Drake Frankie told us um, at the meetings, you know, believe it or not, I mean, this was kind of an eye-opener. So only four of the 14 coaches uh, were here in 2019, the last time it was in person. That means there's been 10 coaching changes out of 14 schools in the last three years. I mean, it's just really remarkable when you think about it. Uh, you know, you're right. You know, Beamer had some first-year success. Heifel had some first-year success for some you know downtrodden programs there of course we've seen Vanderbilt kind of you know fall off the, the planet uh, you know Derek Mason had that as a pretty competitive hard to believe they actually beat Georgia Kirby's first year and now you couldn't even imagine them you know staying in the same stadium uh, it'll be interesting you know Billy Napier is, is certainly an intriguing figure to me uh, you know a former Saban assistant former Devil Sweeney assistant had some success at Louisiana and, and I'm just I'm just not certain what he's truly inheriting in Florida you know, on, on the one hand, you can say, boy, that program's, you know, in trouble. And, but on the other, you know, I, I think back to, you know, they, they're one play away from beating Alabama. You know, they're, they're playing Georgia dead even. It's 3-0. to zero. Certainly a, a tough game for the Georgia offense. Uh, of course, the G- Georgia defense came roaring to life in the first half and kind of saved the day. But you just – there were times when Florida looked like they really weren't that far off. And then there were other times when they, they looked like they were a million miles off, you know, losing to Missouri, losing to um, – you know, games like that. So I'm just not sure what exactly he's inheriting and, and, and how 
fast how far he can go with the resources. So that that's a, you know, to me, you know, he's one of the more, you know, in, interesting figures as far as what he's taken over and where he can he can take it. As far as Beamer and and Hypel, I do think that you know that, that those two those are two programs on the upswing. You know, I think uh, you know Beamer went out and hired Freddie Kitchens, former head coach of the Cleveland Browns, a guy who's very familiar. Um, you know, with Todd Munkin, uh, served with Munkin for a year. Munkin was his offense coordinator. And of course, they've added Spencer Rattler to the mix. And, you know, South Carolina was a team that, you know, at times was competitive last year. Um, you know, again, another program, it's a road game, it's the third game of the season. You, you wonder, you know, could they pose an upset threat? Tennessee, um, you know, as far as NIL goes, they're one of the programs that is desperate. They're desperate right now and, and they're being very aggressive with their NIL model. And, um, and, and you wonder, you know, Josh Heupel and Hendon Hooker was the highest rated passer in the league last year. Um, you know, they had, they had some pretty good, they were pretty competitive in some games. Um, still finished seven and six, but you just get the feeling. I mean, they, they lost what, I think 44 players and they still went seven and six in the mm-hmm. SEC. That's, that's pretty impressive. So that's been a pretty quick rebuild. They've got a lot of resources there. Uh, like you said, two of the younger coaches on the upswing and then, and then there's Kentucky, right? So we've seen Will Levis. Projected his potential first round pick. I know Chris Rodriguez has had some off field issues yeah. this off season, but he'll be back running the ball. So you, you just kind of wonder uh, about the league in general. I think Vanderbilt will still be awful, uh, but but Sam Pittman, uh, you know, he's done a great job out there in the West. Uh, Kiffin and Leach have had more success than I thought, uh, but at the end of the day, somebody's got to lose, right? So. It's pretty. It's a pretty fascinating scene, to your point. So one of the things we talked about before you joined us is I like the preseason magazines, IFO, that kind of stuff. And one of them had mentioned the idea of, you know, one day Kirby Smart maybe being a possible replacement for Nick Saban in Alabama. Now, in the same breath in which they mentioned that, they also said this was not going to happen, but Smart's just a name that shows up on the list, which kind of leads you into the discussion about what it means for Georgia to give the big extension to Smart. By the time folks hear this interview, maybe we know more about that. We certainly learned at the SEC, or I should say the UGA Athletic Board meetings going back a few days ago, that it's on its way to happening, and it's going to be a substantial raise and a gigantic contract. Knowing that Georgia is making the commitment to Kirby that it's making, do you think that Georgia – any time in the near future ever has to have the conversation of maybe Kirby, not for another college job, but for the NFL or whatever else. I mean, do you think the big raise that Kirby's about to get renders the discussion of him ever coaching anywhere else moot that he really is, as the magazine put it, a Georgia lifer and he'll never coach anywhere else because of the uh, commitment that Georgia's making to him? Uh, I don't know that it's necessarily commitment. I think the commitment is a matter of paying him its worth and his value. You know, he, he does more than just coach football. He's been a leader. He's been involved in a lot of the decisions as far as facilities. I think he's got influence over the scheduling model um, to this point. Some, I know he wants more influence in that area. Uh, I, I don't think Kirby Smart's a threat to go anywhere else. I don't think I don't think it's realistic that he's an. I don't think he would be a candidate for Alabama at all. I don't think there's any chance he would take that job. I think Dabo Sweeney is probably a lot more likely uh, candidate. Uh, than Kirby in terms of, you know, his having played at Alabama and kind of done everything there is to do at Clemson. I, I think Georgia, I think Kirby's all in on Georgia. I, I don't, I don't think he goes anywhere else. I don't think his style would work in the NFL. I don't think he'd be a good NFL coach for the same reasons that Saban wasn't uh, and Spurrier wasn't right. So I, I think that, you know, Kirby's a Georgia guy for life. Um, you know, whether the contract ends up being a hundred million or 120 million or 110 million or 95 million, I just, they, they're going to pay him fair. 
Um, they've, they've got an agreed upon amount as, as we do this show as you know, the board meeting last week, everybody knows where everybody's at. They're just dotting the I's crossing the T's. And, you know, I think the projection is this is something could be enough by the middle of June. So I, I don't think Kirby smart was ever really a threat to leave Georgia before. And, and, uh, and certainly he won't be after getting this kind of a lifetime, what I expect to be a 10 year deal. That's got a lot of guarantees. And my, my biggest concern uh, if I'm a Georgia fan about losing Kirby Smart, it would be him burning out and just just quitting and leaving the game in five or six years just from burnout. Well, I yeah, I agree with a lot of what you're saying, and I even kind of touched on this uh, a moment ago myself, which is what you know maybe it's not five or six years down the road, but maybe it's also not 25 years down the road either because Smart's obviously young enough that he could coach for a lot longer if he wanted to. But we just saw Jay Wright, you know, very successful basketball coach at Villanova. He's supposedly retiring at the age of 60. It's a pretty young age to retire here for Smart. That'd be 15 years away, 14 years away, you know, something along those lines that that maybe the real competition for, for, for Georgia when it comes to Smart is not going to the NFL or going certainly to some other college job, which I could never see him doing. But maybe it's one of those things where in the future maybe a lot of guys are going to decide they don't need to coach as long as Nick Saban has to the age of 70 that there just won't be as much motivation to do that or maybe the candle has burned so brightly for such a long time that yeah that you have to step away maybe that's you know not just for Kirby Mike maybe that's the kind of thing a lot of coaches are going to consider in the future smart himself in his own words has certainly suggested that's a possibility for a lot of his colleagues maybe one day that'll be a possibility for him too oh well when you consider the amount of money he's making why wouldn't he I mean you know when you're making seven million dollars a year uh, you know what, the last uh, three or four years, I mean, you know, Kirby's probably got $20 million. I mean, how much money do you need? I mean, at some point, it's a quality of life issue. And, you know, and Kirby's told us, you know, he's he's all about improving and getting better. And the day that he's not about that is when he hangs it up. And, you know, I, what would be wrong with him retiring in nine years? You know, if he, if he gets a 10-year, $115 million deal or 10 years and $100 million, and he retires in nine years, he got $100 million. You retiring at fifty five and playing golf the rest of your life. So unless he has that passion to keep coaching, and you know what we talk about saving as a seventy year old, you got to remember that you know most of those years were not accumulated with this recruiting schedule and with this pressure and with these new rules in place that that Kirby's talked about. The sort of rules that have led to you know Matt Luke walking away. You know, saying, "Look, I'm I'm in amusement park. My phone rings. I got to talk to a recruit." I mean, you know, that's happened with my job as you know content producer, BA. I mean, it's. You know, it's 3 o'clock on a Sunday afternoon or it's 1 o'clock on a Saturday afternoon and you're thinking to yourself you're going to take a day off but news breaks and you stop and you rush to get your laptop and you and I, I'm not making 7 or $8 million a year. You know, so, but just imagine if you were a coach and you were on that 24-7 cycle, 365, at some point, you know, is, is the juice worth the squeeze? Kirby's already got his national championship. Um, you know, that's, that's a box that's checked off. Albeit he said he didn't feel like he needed to complete his career, but you know, five, six, seven years, players start making more money. Players start having leverage. You can't tell them what to do. You got to manage more like an NBA guy. Is it the same job for Kirby Smart? Does he take the same joy in it? And what's left for him to accomplish at that point versus, you know, 60 or $70 million sitting in a bank and in, in, in a family that he wants to spend time with? Let me, let me finish this, if you don't mind. Obviously, there's been a lot of you know, meetings as of late, and you've covered a lot of those, uh, athletic board for UGA, spring meetings for the SEC there in Destin, and boy, a lot of stuff gets thrown at the wall, and I think for the average fan, this becomes a little bit hard to follow about what's real and what's just conjecture, what's just might be one day, and what actually is going to be sometime soon. Like, you know, based on what you're hearing, Mike, what do you think the real 
I guess, changes in store for college football are in the very near future. Now, by the way, by the time people hear this, maybe things are more official than they are as we're recording it. But, you know, you know, certainly there's an SEC scheduling change on the forefront here. But what else can we expect to see maybe in terms of real tangible movement in college sports sooner rather than later? Well, I, I think the scheduling model is, is probably the one thing they do have control over. Um, that's been widely discussed. You know, they, they want, you know, if you go to a 3-6 model, um, you know, you, you play everybody in the league in, in two years, right? You play three, the same opponents every year, but then, you know, you flip the other six from one year to the next, right? So what is that? That's, that covers 15 teams, you know. Now, Georgia's in a little bit of a bind because of the Georgia Tech game. If you look in their advanced schedules, you know, you've already got two, you know, power five opponents scheduled, I think at Louisville and, and, uh, UCLA, for example. Uh, plus I think you have Western Kentucky and you have Georgia Tech. So you add that up to a nine game schedule. That's 13 games. Something's got to go. So are you going to dump one of those attractive power five home and homes that you scheduled or, um, you, do you get rid of the, the, uh, the Western Kentucky? I mean, people go, yeah, but then you don't get a break. You're, you're playing all power five teams and that just doesn't seem reasonable. So. You know, there's, there's going to be, you know, bumps and, and issues with any schedule model that they choose. Um, I, I think they will end up with a nine-game conference schedule. I think they'd like that to corroborate with a 12-game playoff so that they're not damaging their hopes of getting two SEC teams in the playoff, which right now we're at a poor playoff model. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see, you know, the value of, you know, well, you know, you want to protect the model that's getting two teams in the, in the playoff, but at the same time, you know, you don't want to have to wait 10 years. Uh, you know, to, to play a game in, in College Station, Texas, as Georgia has, right? They still haven't played Texas a and and has been leaked 10 years. So that's kind of what they're haggling over. There could be a vote on that this week. I think whether they vote for the nine-game schedule or not this week, I think eventually they will. I think the writing's on the wall. I think the elimination of the divisions, I think the writing's on the wall for that, is, is they basically uh, said that you, you don't have to have two divisional winners. You can just take the two best teams. Um, that certainly... Uh, opens it, you know, makes it favorable to add more teams to the league. Then you don't have to worry about the, the geographical uh, alignment as much as you do just picking the two best teams. So without divisional play, uh, that frees you up uh, as well for the new model that you're going to have with Texas and Oklahoma coming in. So to me, that's one of the big changes. The NIL is uh, is another one where they're, they're kind of on the fence. It's like, you know, on the one hand, you say, boy, you're going to have to have, you know, the federal government legislatures and lawmakers get involved, but be careful what you wish for, right? Um, so do you want their involvement or do you not want their involvement? You know, uh, President Moorhead has spoken about, you know, having faith in the NCAA, but is that really realistic? You know, we've kind of seen the NCAA lose power, lose personnel through COVID and had layoffs. Uh, it doesn't look like a successful governing body for football, at least. Um, so who's, who's in charge here, right? So there's th- those those are issues that are being discussed. Um, that I think it's just going to take time. I, I just think it's going to be a painful evolution uh, to players being under contract uh, in more of a professional model. And you, you don't like to say that because we all cherish college sports for what it is. But you know the toothpaste is out of the tube, and it's not going back in. Players are being paid, and that's going to you know that's going to it's going to go up. They're going to get paid more. It's going to be more prevalent not going to go the other way and the, the question is you know how do you govern that what is the sustainable model with players being paid and and that's what they're still trying to figure out and what are their avenues uh to, to manage this um 
and that's that's where you're hearing a lot of posturing right now and a lot of talk and and that's kind of what a lot of the spring meetings have been beyond the scheduling it's just been a lot of talk and posturing um over what the schools want i mean you know we, we listen to the alabama ad today tell us you know how nick saban's all about what's good for the game well you know i got some oceanfront property in arizona to sell you too i mean he's good he's, he's about you know these guys can all preach georgia says the same thing you know what we're going to do what's best for the league well, guess what? I don't believe you. I think you're going to do what's best for you because that's, this is, you know, the last time Georgia did what was best for the, the league, they played Auburn on the road two years in a row. And how did that work out? You know, 42-38 loss, I believe, in the game. They probably would have won at home. You probably got that media guy to remember that situation better than me, Brandon. So it's, uh, it's a dog-eat-dog world, and there's a lot of scrambling to high ground right now. Mike, we certainly appreciate it. Thank you for making a little extra time for us for a, a little bit of a pre-recorded vacation show here. We'll look forward to speaking back to you again in a live format again very soon. And uh, we'll talk to you then right here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pass Management. Look forward to it, PA. Thanks a lot. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Always a spirited conversation with Mike Griffith, even when it is pre-recorded. Fun to be able to have a chance to catch up with him, and we appreciate his time there on all of that and we'll also try to make good use of your time now as we go cruising around the sec courtesy of royal caribbean and you're thinking about that royal caribbean cruise vacation at some point here in 2022 still get a, a great chance to get that booked up and i would say don't hesitate you know get involved and figure out where you want to go whether it be sailing out of port canaveral that's a port that i like to go out of very close to orlando you can make a great vacation uh there on that on a royal caribbean cruise ship i was watching the video that we were showing a moment ago and it showed playmaker sports bar and grill it's just an example of the kind of cool new restaurants or newish restaurants that are available on these royal caribbean cruise ships you know go back years ago the notion that you would have a true authentic sports bar that had the best games and you know true great sports bar type food like wings and nachos things like that that just wasn't much of a cruise experience you didn't get a ton of that maybe back years ago but you do get that now so if you haven't cruised in a long time or if you missed uh, cruising during the pandemic or maybe this is your first cruise ever there's so much great stuff in store for you when you get on board a royal caribbean cruise ship our friends of the cruise and vacation authority can help you choose the right royal caribbean cruise vacation for you and your family your friends whoever it is you're taking with you their website tcava.com that's tcava.com you can also give them a call, 770-952-8300. That's 770-952-8300. They'll help you out today. So here's how we're trying to help you out. We are asking one big question for each of the SEC teams, other than Georgia, over the course of our time here this week. It's kind of a device that we're just using to do a basic season preview, but we're trying to sort of drill down, zero in on an issue that matters. And I want to start today with the South Carolina Gamecocks. We're trying to do a little bit of SEC East, a little bit of SEC West every single day. I think by the end, we're going to do two West teams, but a little bit of East, a little bit of West each and every day. And so for South Carolina, here's my one big question for them this year. Can former Oklahoma quarterback Spencer Rattler transferring to this USC be better than the other former Oklahoma quarterback, Caleb Williams, who's transferring to the other USC? Now, on the basis of preseason prognostications that doesn't really seem all that likely to be true Caleb Williams is getting a lot of love Spencer Rattler is getting some love and I would say that most of that for Rattler is kind of contained within the SEC there are people who believe that he may be one of the league's better quarterbacks and he very well might be but my question is more along the lines of well, what about the other OU guy at the other USC can Rattler outplay Williams this season relative to the competition they're playing against relative to the competition they're going to have 
alongside them in their respective teams? And I believe the answer to that question might very well be yes. I've said this many times before that, you know, there were a lot of folks in Norman by the end of last season that kind of wanted to go back to Rattler. <laughs> you know, after after Rattler had gotten benched in favor of Caleb Williams, there were a lot of Oklahoma fans seemingly by the end of last season that wanted to return the favor on that and go back to Rattler in place of Caleb Williams. I think that Williams is a little bit more of an unknown for this upcoming year than he's being treated as. Now, I also believe that that South Carolina matching, besting the, the win-loss record they put together a year ago, that won't be an easy thing to do. But obviously, Rattler gives them a chance to do that. Then Sometimes things really are simple. That when you were a quarterback to begin last year with a lot of hype around you, a lot of you know Heisman-type love, even if that didn't quite come to fruition for you last season, being in the SEC has the potential of being a pretty big deal. And for Rattler at, Oak, at South Carolina, I believe it has the potential of being a pretty big deal. Let me move on now to the LSU Tigers here for a moment. Here's my one big question for them. It is really actually not even about 2022. It's actually how good can you be in 2023? That's the question that probably matters to me for LSU right now because the truth is, is I don't think they're all that set up for success here in 2022. Most LSU fans probably don't either. You know, they'd be lucky to win seven or eight games, maybe, especially given the schedule they play. And that's probably okay for this year. There's probably a little bit of a one-year honeymoon for Brian Kelly as long as things aren't too bad in Baton Rouge. But keep recent LSU history in mind as you start thinking ahead to 2023. Look at uh, Nick Saban, first-year coach in 2000. By 2001, he won the SEC. And I remember being very surprised when his team beat Tennessee there that night in Atlanta didn't know a ton about Saban at the time. He knew he was a pretty good coach coming from Michigan State, but he was not a fully known commodity back then. But his team played great there, and then two years after that, they're winning the national championship, and Saban improved himself to be a truly great coach. And he happened to uh, enjoy that success very quickly at LSU. Similar situation for Les Miles. First year in 2005, they won the West, lost the SEC championship game to Georgia, but two years later, they were also winning the national championship. Ed Orgeron similarly won a national championship and also won one very quickly in the kind of early days of his tenure at LSU. Now, in the case of Orgeron, the tenure didn't last uh, much longer than that, but he still won a national championship there pretty quickly. All of this leads to an obvious point for Brian Kelly. It's fine to not be great your first year, but recent LSU coaches would suggest you better be something pretty close to great by year two or at least dropping some hints that you're on your way to winning a championship very, very quickly or LSU fans are going to be very disappointed. That's the flip side that comes from taking a big paycheck to come to a place like LSU where, you know, if you do there what you did at Notre Dame, which is make the playoff a couple times and lose, instead of giving you a contract for life, they're going to be looking to run you out of town because making the playoff and losing is not good enough to place like LSU. They want to win the national championship. So it's going to be an interesting next 12 months. Can, can Kelly do something on the field, but maybe more importantly, kind of cultivate talent off the field to make 2023 the kind of year that he really puts his stamp on the SEC the way that his name recognition and salary would suggest that he's supposed to. I don't think it can happen this season. But do you see any hints they could be ready to be much better in 2023 the way that typical LSU coaches have in their year second, year third type uh, scenarios there? One more team to ask a big question for. And I don't mean to ask this in kind of a snarky fashion about uh, Vanderbilt. I mean this really. Five years from now, do you think that Vanderbilt's still playing big-time college sports? Because I would put them in the category of a lot of these sort of fancy-pants academic schools who, frankly, 
see more value in their general student enrollment spots than they probably do for their athletic enrollment spots. You know, Stanford has, you know, tried to, you know, reduce the no overall number of athletes on its campus because it can just get more money for the uh for the regular student enrollment spots going to a non athlete. There's just more of prestige factor, more of a you know, kind of a lucrative benefit factor to keep those student body spots open for the general population. I think as you see college sports continue to evolve and not always evolving for the better, I think one of the real risks that you run is some of the institutions who have a lot of prestige to lean on academically, they may wonder, are athletics even still really for us? It's got nothing to do with wins and losses. It's got to do with how the university wants to be known. And if you feel like you can stand on your own in terms of being known for your academic profile, you may just simply decide you don't need athletics anymore. And by the way, that's 85 scholarship players that will be looking for a new home if that ever happens. And the overall number of athletes playing big-time college sports will go down when you have fewer schools doing it. It may not be Vanderbilt. It may not be anybody. But my guess is within the next five years, it's going to be somebody. And if you want to look at the top of the food chain academically, those are the best places to start in, in terms of who those most likely candidates might be. We'll make that cruise run the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And we will continue our string here of golden shoes, kind of blast from the past, best of editions, if you will. And in some cases, we don't have full credit to be able to give to the folks who sent some of these in, but we still wanted to kind of honor some of the fun ones in the past. I wish I could have done a million of these, but we just picked a small handful to do. Let me show you the one for today here. And uh, I actually do know who gave us this one. This was our buddy, William Perry. And William actually was on our Dog Nation cruise, and he put this logo on a T-shirt and gave it to all of us, which is a very nice thing to do. The great Athens artist Dave Helwig is your illustrator here, uh, kind of making fun of our buddy Mike Griffith for not liking the cocktail party in Jacksonville. And you see Connor, Riley, Jeff Sintel, and myself. We're all enjoying a little hot tub time there. Uh, a little martini uh, action. You see the olive there too. Keep the game in Jacksonville. Uh, it's really well done by uh, William Perry and Dave Helwig. Long live the cocktail party, it says. The no fun zone with Mike Griffith there on the other side. A very well-deserved blast from the past kind of a repeat golden shoe that's good stuff from our buddy william perry we appreciate that and by the way speaking of the lousy stinging gators more bad news to give them it's been 4889 days since they have won a national championship and in jacksonville where the cocktail party lives on for now 143 days from right now georgia gets itself another win y'all have a great day we'll see you tomorrow on dog nation daily presented by breda pest management